seconds to hold him upright at crime scenes, right? <laughs> he could not even stay sober. So you found that the police are saying, do not let the coroner's office near us because they're always screwing up the case. Well, onto this stage, yes. walk your two heroes, the fathers of forensic toxicology, Charles Norris and Alexander Gettler. Who were they? They, to me, are especially heroic because they're civil servants, two underpaid scientists working in an underfunded laboratory in the city of New York. Norris was the first trained medical examiner in New York City. He came in in 1918, and I've always thought he was perfect for the job because he was, you know, old-time East Coast establishment money of the Norrises who founded Norristown, Pennsylvania. And he was absolutely fearless in taking the establishment on. And he hired the first forensic toxicologist in U.S. history to work for an American city. And that was a very different person. It was Alexander Gettler, who was a Hungarian immigrant who has put himself through school as a night ticket taker on a ferry, but shared with Norris this. He was absolutely obsessive. And he believed that chemistry could be used as a tool against crime. Well, these two together pretty much invented this new science of forensic medicine, forensic toxicology. What was one of their first big breakthrough cases? One of the most famous cases is a woman and her lover who conspired to kill her husband, and then they had taken out insurance policies on them, and they staged a, a fake break-in and burglary murder and then filed for double indemnity. And this case, the Snyder Gray case, actually became, you know, the stuff of, of novel and movie legend. It was the foundation of the novel Double Indemnity. It actually played into James Cain's novel of lovers and murder and betrayal. The postman always rings twice. But the catch was, when Gettler went and looked at it, he was able to prove that the man was completely unconscious, that they, they had, in fact, chloroformed him, given him mercury and alcohol, and he was able to track down all the toxicology that had gone into killing this man, and they were able to find where they had purchased it. You know, sensational murder cases like that. I was more drawn to kind of everyday cases that weren't so famous, arsenic murderers. I really liked. There was um, a, some really fascinating carbon monoxide murders. Uh, one of my favorites, I do sound twisted, uh, was one in which a man suffocated his wife and then they had gas lighting. It's the early 1920s, broke a gas fitting, and the gas floods into this little poor tenement building. He's pretending it's an accidental death. Again, he'd taken out an insurance policy. Gettler walks into the room. He looks at the body. The body is pale. And if you know carbon monoxide, you know that a person who dies of carbon monoxide poisoning is not pale. They're going to be flushed pink. There's a chemical reaction in your blood that will make you flush, your skin flushes pink. He takes one look at this pale corpse and goes, no, this is not a carbon monoxide death. And when they go back to the morgue and look at her blood, they find instead another gas, carbon dioxide in her blood. And that tells you that it's suffocation. Mm. So what's the story of the science? Because 
there are wonderful dramatic stories about the poisoners, but for Alexander Gettler to get to the point that he can break down arsenic, tell you what kind it was, find it in a body, and then find additional chemical fingerprints, right. essentially. What were the scientific advances that he made? You know, well, I should say that I really love the chemistry of the 1920s. It's what we think of now as wet chemistry. Back then, they literally were sloshing around in body tissue to figure this out. Gettler was the first person in the world to figure out how to tell if someone was drunk at time of death. I mean, he did phenomenal work looking at alcohol poisoning, for instance. And to get to the point where he developed a test where you could say, this person in an auto accident was drunk when they died, it took him 6,000 brains. 6,000 brains? 6,000 human brains before he could work out that chemistry. What's the background chemistry of a normal brain when he would... Uh, run people through a test to see if they could stand up to the rigors of working in this New York chemistry lab. He kept a bucket of brains in the